This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Good afternoon and welcome to Vancouver Consumer on a soggy Saturday. I'm Sterling Fox and in just a few moments, Drs. Ron Zokel and Faraj Eder will join us to talk about dental issues and take your calls about your smile and how to either keep it or perhaps get it back again. In our second hour today, John Carlson returns to check the latest numbers and talk about Metro Vancouver real estate. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And the B.C. government announced new nicotine level restrictions and new taxes to be applied to vaping products this week. The health minister says this is all about protecting B.C. youth from the health risks of vaping. The B.C. School Trustees Association has been asking the government for help, saying many school districts in the province are spending too much time monitoring and addressing the problem of vaping in schools. The new regulations, will, which will come into force next spring, will also prevent advertising of vapor products in areas where kids hang out, places like bus shelters and community parks. The government says it will introduce legislation this month that boosts the provincial sales tax on vaping products from 7% to 20%. The government is calling this the most comprehensive vaping plan in Canada. Ben will have a detailed report on this in the next hour. Motorola is bracing for the future by returning to the past. The company is adapting its historical flip phone design for a smartphone with a foldable screen. Samsung, Huawei, and others have phones that fold like a book and offer a double-sized display when unfolded. Motorola's new Razer phone, on the other hand, will be smaller than a regular smartphone until unfolded to its full 6.2 inch size. The idea is to make the phone more compact for carrying and storing when folded and not in use. People have been upgrading smartphones less often as innovation slows down. So the phone industry now is looking around for other ways to excite us about buying their products. How about foldable screens as a way to revive sales, though they are still considered niche products. The new old flip phone will launch in America in January with a starting price of 1500 Yankee dollars. We told you this was coming last week. Ford has revealed that the Mustang Mach-E is the name of the upcoming Mustang-inspired electric utility vehicle. It will debut in Los Angeles tomorrow when Ford Ford announced plans for the model a couple of years ago. It borrowed the Mach 1 name from the Mustang archives, but then quietly trademarked Mustang Mach-E, leading to speculation that it would be used on a production model. So details on the vehicle are still scarce, including the price, which doubtless we'll find out tomorrow. But Ford says that it is a performance-minded SUV that will come in a version with a 300-mile range, which puts it in the same league as the upcoming Tesla Model Y. Recent spy photos, oh yes, there's lots of industrial espionage still, uh, show a compact utility with a low roof line, bulging fenders, and a taillight design similar to that on the current Mustang. More information tomorrow as Ford begins taking $500 refundable deposits for the Mustang Mach-E reservations ahead of sales starting next year. Well, with all the hoopla of the streaming Disney launch this week, Netflix decided not to be outdone and announced that they're set to make 
the next installment of the Beverly Hills Cop series to be shown exclusively on Netflix. Eddie Murphy will return as Axel Foley. Jerry Bruckheimer will produce. The first Beverly Hills Cop film was released in 1984. Sequels in 87 and 94. The total gross for all three, about $750 million worldwide. This will be Murphy's second collaboration with Netflix following his lead role in Dolomite Is My Name last month. The first installment of Beverly Hills Cop is still my favorite. How about you? Ready for another make? Gosh, Hollywood's in real overdrive these days, aren't they? Oh, and speaking of Netflix, for fans of The Crown, including yours truly, it returns tomorrow. Those are some of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at a few more as we go along. But coming right up, two of the world-class dentists from BC Perio, Drs. Ron Zokel and Faraj Eder, will join us to take your calls and talk about your smile. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer, and you're listening to CKNW. Welcome back to the show. Sterling Fox with you across the desk from two very jet-lagged human beings, Drs. Ron Zokel and Faraj Eder, Eder, two of the world-class dentists from BC Perio, just back from literally a trip halfway around the world to conduct a series of lectures in, well, in, in Faraj's case, it started in Toronto, uh, nice and tame, then off to Miami, eh, and then Cairo. In the case of Dr. Ron Zokel, it started off in Bangalore, India, then off to Abu Dhabi. And then Cairo. They came home together about what? Twelve hours ago, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to see you both. Uh, The world class dentist. I keep calling you that for very good reasons. Not only because of the skills that you are able to deliver to customers and clients here in Metro Vancouver with your Coquitlam and, and West Broadway locations, but also the fact that you you have a status among your peers around the planet in terms of knowledge and expertise. Dr. Ron, let's start with you. What were you doing in Cairo besides looking at the pyramids and those <laughs> usual touristy things? You were there for a, quite an intense series of lectures. Well, in, in, it finished in Cairo. I did two days of lectures in Cairo and uh, for the American Academy of Implant Dentistry, the teaching program for their, uh, their issues. I spent two days in Bangalore doing the same thing on a slightly different subject, but for the same people, and then in Abu Dhabi, so I did two days there. So that's a total of six full days of lecturing and training in eight days in three countries. In three countries, right. And then it culminated in spending four days with Dr. Ed Hur in, in Egypt, and that was spectacular. So what is it that you now you were talking about you you gave a lecture in in Cairo that was similar to the one you had given just prior to that in India. What was the subject matter? Well, in India, the subject matter was Im, uh, implant prosthodontics, and that is how to build teeth on implants. The next two lectures were similar, actually, and they were more related to the surgical aspect of implants and how to place implants, but also how to regenerate bone structure in a controlled fashion, predictable fashion, which is common because when people lose teeth, I often lose bone and gum tissue, and you need to rebuild those structures to put implants in exactly the right spot. So now it sounds, though, like the sorts of things that you would do for a Vancouver-area patient on any given weekday, some of those techniques are still being learned in other parts of the world. They're still being learned here as well. Okay. You know, it's not just common knowledge everywhere. It's, it's, it's growing, and, but the interest is now on an international level on a far bigger stage than we had seen before. 
Okay, now, Dr. Enner, you well-traveled individual, you, uh, and you, you, this was not your first rodeo in Cairo. You've been there many, many times, so you had a chance to uh, show Dr. Zokel around, and I'm, I'm sure he's still going to take a few more days to recover from that part of the trip, but tell us about what you did in Toronto and Miami and also in Cairo. Uh, it started off in Toronto. We um, you were on a panel there, yeah, right? Because you panel. told us about that about a month ago when you were visiting. Exactly, it was a panel organized by the Dental Industry Association of Canada, focusing on digital dentistry and how digital technology is influencing our profession. So that was a really interesting event, talking about the future of what's happening in dentistry. Uh, in Miami, there was the American College of Prosthodontists meeting happens once a year. It's the largest um, program that takes place in our specialty of prosthodontics. So we get to see what's up and what's coming and what's new and how things are advancing. And then I made my way over to Cairo, gave a segment during Dr. Zolko's program on digital dentistry and uh, introduced some of the programs we teach around the world. And then we just had a good time seeing Luxor and Cairo and all the great things that are over there. Fantastic. Now, Dr. Ron, you were talking about, as, as part of your lecture, you were talking about the subject matter. When I asked you about the subject matter, it was how to build teeth on implants. This is something that you do in-house on a daily basis at BC Perio, isn't it? It's our routine. Yes, that's exactly what we do. So how far away in other countries are dentists from having that as part of their normal routine? Uh, that's a great question. I think the... I think the concept of doing implant prosthodontics and implant surgery properly is gaining a stronger foothold in all areas of the world. It's still a little bit more, uh, let's say, outside of norm, particularly in countries where, where, that, where the people who are looking for the care are very destitute, if you will, mm -hmm. and don't have the funds. So they will, they will move to treatment protocols that are not as effective because they just can't afford to deliver them. At the, at the price that people are able to pay. So in those in those uh, places in the world, it, it's it sounds uh, to the untrained ear like uh, the idea of dentures would probably be the go-to solution because they're so much more affordable and implants are still kind of in the rarefied zone. I, I think there's a lot to that, uh, but we also go a step right in the middle where you use a couple of implants in the lower jaw to support a denture so that the, the limitations of a denture are less. And so it still is a significant improvement for the patient if they can have their teeth at least, at least supported by two implants on the bottom jaw. Mm -hmm. Dr. Faraj Eder, you were talking about being on this very interesting and kind of exciting panel in Toronto. You were excited about it weeks before you went. And it was all about digital dentistry. For the, again, untrained ear, Talk to me about what you mean by digital dentistry, and then we'll zoom in on what happens at BC Perio. Sure. So digital dentistry is just the term we use for utilizing technology, digital technology in our profession. Okay. So that goes from digitizing x-rays, which has its major advantages, to more advanced things like using augmented reality or um, using an intraoral scanner, which replaces the goop in the mouth when taking conventional impressions. Okay, right. So all anything that gets rid of, gets rid of that is <laughs> a welcome yeah. innovation. So uh, that 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 field of digital dentistry has been advancing so rapidly, and um, the reason I was so excited about the panel is it combined a lot of different opinions from the profession. 
whether that's from the industry. We had Health Canada there, uh, the clinical and educator side as well. So it was interesting to have different mindsets in the room discussing what digital dentistry has done and what's going to come in the future. So what is Health Canada? What's the government? I I appreciate their involvement at all. So were they curious, uh, just sort of monitoring the conversation, or were they participating? They were participating because there's a huge role that the government plays in the advancement of technology, especially when it comes to healthcare. Because as it improves and advances so fast, there's a challenge from the government's perspective as to how to regulate that in a way that obviously uh, focuses on protecting the Canadian who's going to have this treatment applied to them, but at the same time not hindering the progress of the new technologies. So how, how do we do that in an efficient manner? And that's that's kind of what we were discussing. Interesting stuff. So now, Dr. Ron, when you go to these uh, far-flung spots around the globe and uh, you present your uh, story to the assembled multitudes, many hundreds of, of dentists, presumably at each stop along the way, and then after the formal presentation is over, there's, one would expect, some kind of Q&A session in which the audience gets to ask the presenter specific questions. When they have their turn, what do they want to know the most? <laughs> How did you do that? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, all right. In a lot of cases, they're seeing things for the first time then. Well, in some cases, because uh, this is these are training programs. We're actually teaching dentists how to do it. Uh, so we show several things. We show the basics. If they're in their early learning curve, we show them the basics so they understand the principles by which these things work. Then what we try to do is show them what's possible, what a lot of people don't realize is even remotely possible. So we show them exactly, even though they're not at the stage where they can do them, we show them that it's possible to do these things if they apply these principles in more advanced cases. Mm. So... Uh, a lot of the questions that follow up is, how, how the heck did you ever get that accomplished? Interesting stuff. Dr. Ritter, you're the younger of this duo, but how long have you been out of dental school? Um, it's almost six years now. How much has changed since you graduated in terms of the tools of the trade that you use every day? Because you, if you're a recent grad only six years ago, you came out pretty tuned up to modern technology and all of the possibilities. How much has changed in six years? If we're talking about technology, 100% of it. Wow. There's no technology that I use today that I would have used six years ago. It's, That's remarkable. It's changing that fast. And the, the easiest way to compare it is technology that we use on a day-to-day basis. So, for example, an app on your phone. It's very unlikely that that app has remained the same for six years. True. Constant, it's, it's very unlikely that it remains the same for six months. So... That's the same thing with uh, digital dentistry and technology. When you decided as a group, Dr. Ron, at BC Perio, to, uh, to bring uh, in-house, and you hired uh, Angus, and I can't remember his last name. Barry. That's right. Your, your specialist technician to create um, implants and dentures and all of that right in the shop. Was it at its time, when you made that decision, was it considered pretty risky? No one else had done it before? I don't think so. Uh, it's not like it was absolutely brand new. And Dr. Hedder's quite right, is that the development of digital technology has come an awful long way because we started in robotics 
in, in dentistry, particularly laboratory technicians where we're milling crowns back 20 years ago for that matter. But it was so rudimentary that it was not something that was reliable. Isn't that, but it was also in those days, was it also not farmed out to a, a, a lab of some kind or well, was it done in-house? For sure. Rarely are these labs done in-house. Okay. It's only when you have a type of a practice that produces that much work uh, that needs a laboratory of that kind so that you keep a lab person or multiple lab people busy 24 or let's say a full day, eight hours a day, five days a week type of thing. That's when it becomes feasible to put a laboratory in your own facility. Oh, okay. Dr. Edder, is there a possibility that there's an intimidation factor involved in all of this super duper digital stuff to the point where some people may feel intimidated because, gosh, they're using rocket science for crying out loud. I just have a toothache. This is going to cost a fortune. Is there that element to it? I, I suppose so. If, uh, if you think about it from that perspective, then that could be the case. I think once people really understand what we're utilizing this technology for, then that anxiety, let's say, is no longer going to be there because, and this is something I say all the time when I lecture and speak about digital dentistry, digital dentistry is not replacing what we do and have been doing for many, many years. Right. It's only allowing us to do things more predictably, more efficiently, and more accurately. And most importantly, what this technology allows us to do is communicate in a way that we've never been able to communicate with before. So this, this is something we see with our patients on a daily basis. What I used to have to do without digital technology is I'd have to explain to someone sitting in the chair, this is what I think your new teeth might look like. Right. Try to, un try to imagine that based on the words that I'm using. Right. Whereas now I can utilize technology to show them on a screen precisely what we expect the final result to be like. So it's an amazing communication tool. Absolutely, because it, it, then you're not relying on, uh, on someone else's words. You can look at an image that is, in fact, of you. Yeah, I'd like them a little bit longer, a little bit shorter, a little whiter, a little darker. That's all something you can actually see right there and then on the spot. Speaking of intimidation factors, the elder of the two in our group this afternoon, Dr. Ron, you've been around the block a few times. Beyond dollars and cents. What else intimidates human beings the most uh, into avoiding the dentist, in some cases at all costs? I think uh, the, the fear of pain, <laughs> probably more than anything else. I, I, I think that, and, and with respect to dollars and cents, I might add a little something with respect to digital technology, because it, it would seem that, gosh, with all this investment and such, that the cost might be tremendously high. Sure. Actually, what it's helping us do, and it'd be more efficient, more effective, but also helping us keep the cost of dentistry down a bit because we are able to be treating people more effectively and more accurately. And I suppose these. more quickly, too. Mm -hmm. Fewer steps. If you're not farming stuff out, you can just go down the hall, get something done, and bring it right back. Absolutely. Everything gets done faster. Welcome back to the program on a soggy Saturday afternoon. Sterling Fox with doctors Ron Zokel and Faraj Eder from BC Perio Dental Health and Implant Centers in Vancouver and Coquitlam. Phone lines are wide open, 604-280-9898. Any and all questions on dental matters, welcome with two of the best in the world in the building. Dr. Eder, you were talking about uh, during the break, because I was uh, alluding earlier to people, are there's a, there's, a, there's a thing with people and dentists, and there's a kind of a... 
You have to overcome uh, uh, inhibitions, fears, apprehensions, call it what you will. But there are other concerns that people have, even if you're okay with going to the dentist for a checkup and possibly a little bit of work. But there's still, you, you do a lot of cosmetic work. People who come to you as a prosthodontist uh, wanting to, to, to improve their smile or get it back, for crying out loud. But they, too, have apprehensions and concerns. Talk to us about what they tell you. It's uh, slightly different when we talk about cosmetic dentistry. The reason being, with cosmetic dentistry, you're not necessarily coming in having any pain. Um, you, in some cases, still function normally. Sure. It's just that you'd like the appearance of your smile improved. And what I find a lot of people uh, leads to a lot of anxiety with a lot of people when it comes to cosmetic dentistry is the fear of the unknown. What's my smile going to look like if I go through this sort of cosmetic treatment? Right. Am I going to be happier with that smile or might I, might I, might I end up in a situation where it's actually worse in some ways? And this takes us back to the advantages of digital technology. All the, right. The reason this anxiety is there is because before digital technology, what patients had to go through was they'd had to they'd have to trust their dentist to give them a smile that they're happy with. Right. You discuss it as best you could. We're going to Absolutely. do this, this, and this, and then you know, okay, doc, away you go. Whereas today, when a patient comes in wanting their smile improved, what we do is we go through something called a virtual smile design. So we actually show them them on a screen what their final smile is going to look like in a multitude of different ways and get their feedback before we've even changed anything permanently. Right. So it's it's completely transformed that sort of communication, like we said. And also, I would think, Dr. Ron, really reduce the anxiety factor by about 100%. If you all of a sudden are able to look at a screen inches from your face and, oh, wait a second, that's me. And, oh, this is what I would look like if I had this particular procedure done. Oh, that really drops the anxiety factor, doesn't it? It really does, especially when you can, you can show an image of what they look like right now and then immediately flip it to what they could look like if right. they take the treatment on. That really is impactful. Well, we've seen uh, home interior guys for us do this for a long time, and they've been at it a little faster. The dentistry, I would suppose, because the interior of a house is a little easier to construct and 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 redo uh, compared to the human mouth. But nonetheless, the technique is similar. Absolutely, it's the same thing, and we've been using two D photos to have that virtual smile design done for many years. Right. Um, what we now do at BC Perio, this is something that. I, I was beta testing for a while and is now available to any dentist who wants this, is utilizing augmented reality. And this is completely new to dentistry. And what augmented... Is this where you put on the, the, the visor thing? That's virtual reality. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, just very checking. close. Yeah, okay. very close. But augmented reality is, um, you've probably seen the photos on social media where it can add sunglasses or bunny ears oh, to your sure, head. Oh, sure, sure, of course. So yeah. it actually augments to your image. And we're now utilizing this in dentistry where it's augmenting your smile. So you're looking at a screen live where you're seeing yourself move right and left. And we're able to change just your teeth in that image to the new design. So you're able to test drive, let's say, mm -hmm. that new smile mm -hmm. on your face, not in a 2D still image, but rather in a dynamic way where you're able to move your head, smile, move your lips and assess what things are going to look like. And that's, uh, that's why you can get so fine and specific about things like tone and color. Absolutely. Tone, color, the details, the translucency, how light travels through the teeth. There's a lot of detail that goes into good cosmetic dentistry that mimics nature rather than 
leads to a fake smile, which a lot of people fear when they go in for cosmetic dentistry. Interesting stuff. We did open our phone lines, 280-604-280-9898. We'll include our callers as we go forward. Ed in Vancouver, welcome to the show. Hello. Hi, I just have a question. I had some uh, uh, crown work done a number of years ago on my left uh, uh, side of my mouth, mm-hmm. up and upper and lower, and I'm experiencing some some real pain with cold uh, water or ice cubes. I thought once you had a crown done, that root or the roots have been deadened and taken out. How is it possible? I don't have any gum issues that I can see. It doesn't look like anything. How is it possible I'm experiencing pain where that crown was put in? It's a really good question, Ed. Let me just ask you before the dentists respond, how long ago did you have these crowns installed for a non-dental word? Uh, I had them done probably 15 years ago. Okay. Now, doctors, over to you. Well, I'll take this one on. Okay. This is uh, Dr. Zokel here. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest a couple of things. First of all, I think your perception and perhaps the presumption that you have had the roots of the teeth removed when you have crowns is just not quite accurate. Ah, but it's a widely held uh, it, misbelief or untruth or whatever you would it call it. It may well be, but when you have crowns done, is you reshape the, the outer part of the tooth. The t- part of the tooth is visible, and you put a crown or a cap, what a lot of people would refer to, but the root underneath is still alive and doing well. And uh, in, in that case, you, we may find from time to time that one of those roots that still has a vital nerve in it may die. And when that happens, you can have an abscess forming at the base of the tooth. So this tooth is probably very salvageable for you as long as the, there hasn't been return of decay in a massive way. But often a root canal will preserve that tooth for you for a long, long time. Yeah, but you said those magical words, root canal. <laughs> and, and, and you're fearful of the pain that's, that per, is per, a presumption. No, I'm not fearful of the pain. I just remember the pain. Ah. <laughs> and w- would it be of any value to you if I suggested that, that, that it, most root canals are not painful, even though you've experienced it? Yeah, I remember it's 2019, Ed. When was the last time you had a root canal? Well, I tell you what. I think after having three or four crowns put in my mouth, that was enough for me to realize this is not good. I'd much, I've been much better with my dental uh-huh. care, and I think most people, after having a crown or two, I would hope that they would be better with their dental care. Interesting stuff. Ed, good to hear from you this afternoon. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Dr. Ritter, you had a colleague who was a root canal specialist. You brought him in to the program about six months ago during the summertime. Uh, he's uh, practicing uh, here in Vancouver. And you said that you don't Dr. do... Weinstock, yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And you said we don't do it at our shop, but he specializes in it. That's all he does. Mm-hmm. So uh, is, is it not a fairly widely held myth that that uh, a crown is is something you do after a root canal? Um, the misconception, I think, is that every tooth that has a crown on it has had a root canal done. That's yeah, that, not true. You can have okay. a crown on a vital tooth, like Dr. Zolko said, and um, have the nerves there and everything just normal and that tooth being vital. Whereas most teeth that have root canal, especially if we're talking about the posterior teeth, so the molars or the teeth that we really apply a lot of forces to, what we recommend is any posterior tooth that's had a root canal done 
to have a crown placed on it. So root canal teeth should have crowns placed on them. However, not every crown on a tooth means that that tooth has been root canal. Ah, now you see therein lies the, the, the there's the, the, the gap in terms of, of what's true and what's myth, Dr. Ron, because I think a lot of us have latched onto the wrong facts. I think that's absolutely true. And, and keep in mind as well, just because you have a crown does not mean the root of the tooth has been removed. So in Ed's case, he might have a crown on that tooth, but never had it root canaled. Right. And in that case, that explains why he's facing symptoms now. So like Dr. Zolko said, it could be something as simple as just having that tooth root canaled. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, referrals and BC Perio and how, because you are world-class guys that travel the planet teaching your peers how to do it right, uh, how hard are you to get to and how must, uh, how must one approach? For example, if Ed uh, wants to come down and you said his tooth is probably quite salvageable, thank you very much, so he wants to come in and see you and have, a, have that confirmed. Does he have to go through his family dentist to get to you or can he just call directly? He can call directly. Directly, And so we work directly with the public, but we also work directly from dentists as well. So we can, either way is fine. So if he just like a bit of information, give us a call at BC Perio. Okay. And uh, so there are no formal referral requirements then, uh, Dr. Farage? It's not a requirement. Um, like Dr. Zoko said, we work closely with a lot of family dentists and other specialists in the community. And um, we, uh, we also see a lot of people that come right in or give us a call or visit our website and make appointments through that. And I guess too, Dr. Ron, because you are so far out there on the cutting edge, there are situations that arise in the clinic of a family dental practice that the professionals involved go, you know, gosh, this is just a little above my pay grade. I'm not quite sure how to deal with this. You should go see some specialists. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? It's one of the things that keeps us busy. Is, is the fact that people will take a look and said you need something outside of average. You need somebody with a little bit more skill, be it surgical skill or prosthetic skill, to take a case on. Okay, back to the phones, and we're in New Westminster this time around. Uh, Jenna, welcome. Hi, yeah, um, I have a question. Um, I've, I've got quite a bit of work done on my teeth. I've got crowns, I've got one implant, I've got one tooth that's a big gap right now ready for an implant. So it's very expensive, but... I know it's the best thing for your mouth. Do you see in the foreseeable future that, that plans, medical or dental plans will cover these in the future? Because that's kind of what's preventing me from, from getting the work done. That's a fair, go that's a fair question, Jenna. Dr. Ron and I have had this conversation on, on more than one occasion. So uh, it's perfectly okay. Uh, do you want to take this one, Ron? Sure, I will. Uh, and this goes back, there's been some history with consideration of uh, insurance companies taking it on. Right now, most insurance programs, which technically is a misnomer, is it's third-party payment plans. Mm -hmm. And in companies purchase this on behalf of their employees and such. The premiums for just average dental care is almost a lost leader in many insurance companies' uh, provision of these services. And if implants were to be covered, the premiums would go sky high, massively high. And I don't think, personally, I don't think that would remotely fly considering the cost that it would establish. So my expectation is it's not likely to become something that the average dental insurance program will cover. Mm. Now, that's a little discouraging to hear, Jenna, uh, but as you, for, for, for a person like Jenna who comes to the clinic, to either uh, Coquitlam or the Vancouver Clinic, Dr. Ron, uh, who is a little intimidated by the cost factor, are there 
arrangements that can be made? Yes, there are. And in fact, uh, what we do is our, our team at VC Perio will actually go out and see how much of a benefit they can procure from the program that you have, the dental, whatever dental insurance you have, and see how much they can get covered. And uh, in Dr. Edher's case there with prosthodontics and such, often these insurance companies will cover a portion of the tooth structure that's going to go on the implant. Uh, what they don't often cover is the surgical procedures that are necessary to uh, to bring that final crown into place. Perhaps not the answer you were hoping for, Jenna, but is it helpful at all? Uh, yes, thank you very much. I know teeth are very important. Um, they are what feed you, so you have to take care of them. Well, there you go. Both dentists are smiling, literally. They're, they're, they're positively gleaming at me. What a great line, Jenna. Smart thank lady. Smart, <laughs> smart indeed. You got them both right where I wanted you to. Uh, well done. So, uh, again, to, to recap in terms of the costs, because when a, a person, a new patient, comes to the to the clinic, to either Coquitlam or Vancouver, uh, and they want... They want to know, well, what's it going to cost to get my smile back, please? Uh, and, and there are options. We've talked about there isn't just one or two. There's not just A or B. There are possibilities. There are combinations. So in all of that process, Dr. Ron, is there a costing accompanying each and every option so that at all times you're aware of what you're up against? Yes, absolutely. We don't undertake any treatment without providing a cost up front. Okay, yeah. Uh, just to go into it, probably in treatment planning, I would envision that there might be a dozen different ways that you might solve a particular problem. And, and I think it's important for the dentist to um, identify perhaps the three best ways of providing it. Uh, I personally feel that we have to listen to our patients' priorities, including mm-hmm. their, their ability to pay for it. So when we identify solutions and options for them, we def- we could define maybe three different options at three different price points. Sure. I then identify the pros and cons of going in each direction. Okay. For Jenna and anyone else who might be sitting on the cusp of actually going to the dentists, uh, we recommend you go to BC Perio and they will be straight up with you from the moment you walk through the door. The two doors, actually, one at 1175 Johnson Street in Coquitlam and the other one a little closer to us at 777 West Broadway in downtown Vancouver. Doctors Faraj Eder. And Ron Zoko, back to bed, both of you. <laughs> Looking a little bleary-eyed after that ride home from Cairo. But thanks so much for uh, finding a room in your busy schedule for us on a Saturday afternoon. Great to see you both. Thank you, Sterling. Great seeing you. Thank you. We're Thank back you. after this. And once again, our thanks to Drs. Ron Zokel and Faraj Etter for another informative visit, and thanks for your calls, too. Next hour, John Carlson returns with a fresh look at Metro Vancouver real estate. Time now for Duly Noted, and this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, takes a look at a warning about a pet sitter app. Thanks, Sterling. Another BC family is warning pet owners about the potential pitfalls of online-based pet-sitting platforms after their puppy was injured and fled while in care of a sitter. Chilliwack couple Kim and Dan Levinsky and their two young children left their 10-month-old purebred pit bull with a pet sitter through the popular Rover platform on Monday while they headed to Mexico for a vacation. Speaking by Skype from Mexico, the Levinskys said they'd met their pet sitter ahead of dropping Frankie off and chosen her because she seemed like a good fit and her dog got along with theirs. 
but they said about a half hour after dropping the dog off, they got a call telling them Frankie had jumped the fence and been hit by a car. They have posted to local Facebook groups and have friends and family searching for Frankie, but say they're not satisfied with how Grover has handled the situation. They say the company has refused to reimburse them for Pet Detective and that they feel like the platform is not taking responsibility for operators listed on its site. There's only so much you can ask for, obviously, if they have their, their rules in place, I guess, but it's uh, a little disappointing that you use uh, a service and they kind of just you know wash their hands a bit and offer very minimal in, in ways of um, terms of help. A spokesperson for Grover said the company was taking the situation seriously, describing it as a rare occurrence. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. Our first story today was about what the B.C. government plans to do, including raising taxes on products about vaping. Now, here's a little more background, as Mario Canseco and his team over at Research Company have just finished a national survey on vaping, and almost three-quarters of Canadians, 73% of us, would like to see at least a temporary ban on vaping products. The same number also supports the idea of a ban on using e-cigarettes in places where smoking is prohibited. Well, over half of us would also support the removal of all flavored vaping products. While some attitudes are changing, some aren't. And 11% surveyed say they had used an e-cigarette in the past 12 months, and that's the same number as last year. Also similar, more young people are likely to vape than older groups. What is different this year is BC. We're on top of the pack of the most vapors, where Atlantic Canada was last year. But the peculiar part of that is BC is also where most... Most people, 54%, say they won't date an e-smoker. Nationally, half of Canadians, men and women alike, say they simply aren't interested romantically in a smoker or vapor of any kind. Even in younger adults, the majority said they weren't interested in dating smokers. And now, those products will become even more expensive in BC in January, too. And then there's the story of the child prodigy in Belgium who's about to get a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, never an easy subject, at the ripe old age of nine. His name is Laurent Simons, and the staff at Eindhoven University of Technology say he's the fastest student they've ever seen. His parents are doctors, haven't encouraged him since birth, but even they struggle with this little genius. Their biggest challenge is his age. They're trying to balance being an academic superstar with being a nine-year-old. They say, so far, so good. As to Laurent, what does he want to do when he grows up? He wants to develop artificial human organs. I don't know much about you, but when I was nine, I just wanted to get to grade five without too much trauma. The kid is amazing. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.